Wearing the Folk. Welcome to Wearing the Folk. I'm Cecil Fletcher, and right here sitting beside me is my lovely better half, David Reed. And we got Mr. Tully coming to us from Northern Kentucky, and we have a special guest today, Hadley Thorne. Hadley, where in the folk are you at today? I am down in the great state of Mississippi. Mississippi. Um, that's awesome. I've never really been to Mississippi. I think I drove through there once. Is it like a bunch of moss everywhere, like on TV? Like a bunch of what? Like a moss, moss and cypress trees. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's moss and there's cypress trees. <laughs> I thought you were talking about moss, like bugs. Like I thought bugs. you said moths too. I might have. <laughs> I, that's what it sounded like, but I knew what he meant. <laughs> well, I've, I've got this strange thing where I don't talk properly. Mine's a hybrid of Floridian and uh, Clay County, and, and like it. Meant and merged together to make unlegible is what they call it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as always, Tully comes up with these questions because he feels as though I'm too stupid to think of anything on my own. Well, she might not be too wrong. I, no comment. <laughs> so, um, the way we've got a whole lot of things going on, Hadley. Um, tell us a little bit about everything you got going on. It looks like you're involved in a lot of different channels and content. You're an author. What all? What what's Hadley do? I have many paths, my friend. Um, I'm currently uh, writing books. Um, I do podcasts and I consult with Night Collars Productions. Y'all met my producer, um, Lauren Smith. Lauren's awesome. Let's give her a shout out and say, hey. But, we really uh, enjoyed it speaking with Lauren. She, she was, was awesome. She's, she's an awesome girl. Uh, I really enjoy working with her. And um, a couple of months back, uh, we were talking and I was pursuing my dreams of becoming a published writer. And she was wanting to take her um, Night Collars Bigfoot Radio to the next level, and we just decided to pair up, and so a beautiful partnership was born, and um, since then, in December, I published my first novel. Um, it's Tapestry of Worlds, Part 1, The White Raven Awakens, and in March, I am releasing the companion book to it, and it's Tapestry of Worlds, Part 2, Running and Gunning. So that's what I've got going on. Um, we're doing Weird Realities, which is how I met you wonderful people. And we just added um, some content to our program called Weird Realities, Inc., where James Irby and I are going to be doing some um, interviews with the authors, filmmakers, and um, artists who are out there investigating and making the wonderful world more beautiful for us weird people <laughs> that's awesome um i don't know like uh like writing a book it just seems like it'd be very hard like when the story is this something that you just like kind of did your outlines on or is this something that you've been cooking up like i know like when i used to have to drive to work i'd sit and think of different scenarios a lot of ones that if i pulled out i'd end up in prison for <laughs> 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 but is this something like you like the because I, I didn't get to read the whole thing i got to read maybe three chapters because of all the weather and stuff but it's pretty it's it's pretty nice like i like the prologue and it's, basically it's like about a post-apocalyptic world isn't it yeah, well um actually the first book um takes place 
in and the second book does too. They're on the same timeline, but they're taking place like I'd say probably around June 2020. So that was when I started writing, and I wrote it from the perspective of this is what's happening now, just with a little bit of a more fantasy um, angle. So um, I'm really into survivalist stuff. I'm into post. Um, I I read zombie fiction to relax. I mean, I am all over there. And so the book kind of takes elements from all the different things that I love and it brings it together in a story form and just is kind of a way for me to talk about the things I really am passionate about and share it with other people. The little bit I read about it, I'm always kind of drawn to the um, villains. I'm thinking I'm on like this Timothy Herbert a lot. I haven't got there. I don't know what happens with him, but I feel like this is somebody I might enjoy. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna correct you. It's a bear. It's a Cajun. A bear. A bear. Yeah, it does. It's spelled Herbert, but yeah, it's a bear. I've got family down in South Louisiana who would shoot me if I didn't correct that. Yeah. <laughs> um, we appreciate. I'm, please continue doing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because you, I I will need a law correction. Yeah, you won't be the first person that's ever had to correct him at all. So. <laughs> It's perfectly fine. <laughs> so you grew up in Mississippi, right? I am born and raised. I am All a right. still Magnolia, my friend. Kind of what was the culture like growing up there? Was it a, I guess, a culture that would be accepting towards paranormal and, you know? Oh, how, no. No. Oh, no. no. <laughs> Not the circles that I ran in. Um, I would say that I grew up believing that one did not suffer a witch that um, you just didn't talk about that sort of thing. Um, I've got friends to this day who we can't talk about um, Bigfoot or anything kind of boo scary because you 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 draw that stuff to you. Oh, wow. So definitely the, uh, I guess, the culture there didn't, I guess, assist in uh, being a paranormal writer. And <laughs> you kind of <laughs> had to take your own path on that then. I did. I was I was very lucky in that um, my parents kind of let me. I was raised around the church, but not in it like a number of my friends. So I had um, a lot of other influences. My uncle is Native American, and so I grew up being fascinated by his history and the history of his family. And then my grandmother was very psychic and my mom was very empathic. And so I grew up around these women who had these abilities and was always drawn to wanting to understand it. Um, I personally have dreams that come true. So that was something that when I would go to church with some of my friends, I'd find out that, um, you know, that wasn't good and you were a bad person if that happened. And I was like, I'm a good person. I'm not, I'm not going to burn in hell. Um, so I grew up having to find my own way. And that was really what led me to a lot of my interest was trying to figure out what was going on with me in, a, in an effort to explain it. And so I, I originally started looking into Wicca. And from Wicca, I was like, well, this just doesn't really make sense for me. And so then I looked into witchcraft and, again, did not make sense to me. And I've studied, I mean, I've studied Christianity, Judaism, all different types of paganism. And there's, to me, on a spiritual level, I believe that all of this is something that um, you just have to figure out for yourself the truths that speak to you. 
And I respect everybody's path in life and their choices, and I hope that they respect mine. Absolutely. So is Mississippi uh, it is Mississippi in the Bible Belt? Oh, honey, we're the buckle of the Bible Belt. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. They, they take it off to, to pull it and beat you with. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, very... Um, one of my good friends moved here from California, and she was driving down the road, and she thought there we have a, a big hospital, and she um, thought that it was a church because the churches are so big here. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I would imagine that was shell shock for her coming from California to Mississippi. Yeah, it's a pleasant one though. You'd be really surprised, Mississippi, and and I will say this: I love Mississippi. I've lived other places. I've come back. There's no place like it. It is the best kept secret in the world. Um, as much as the problems that we have here, you'll never find nicer people who are more willing to help and to be understanding. And like I said, you know, it's it's a great place to be. You know, I will. That's that's funny that you say that because I was getting to say in my day job. It seems like every time I speak, you know, I speak to people all across the nation, and it and I've always liked speaking to folks from Mississippi. They, and I actually told a, a person I spoke to one time, I said, I love speaking to the citizens of Mississippi. You all are the nicest people in the world. What about New York? <laughs> I like the Yankees. We'll leave it at that. Vic Ferrari. Shout out to him. Yeah. Vic was awesome. Um, well, you I, I, lived in, um, I lived at Fort Bragg for a while in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And when I was there, I would run into people. They would see my Mississippi tags, and they'd always stop and talk and have a story about Mississippi. And I thought that said a lot about, you know, the state. People remember people they meet from Mississippi for whatever reason. And there's a lot of problems that we have here. But like I said, the people, you won't meet better people anywhere. I think I've talked to people from Mississippi, but it's like I was telling you, I don't know that I've ever actually just met someone who was from Mississippi. Like in person. I don't think I have either. Um, you well, talk now y'all have. The, now we have. <laughs> you talk you about have, Y'all have to come to Mississippi when, when all this mess clears up. And we'll just take you around and show you all kinds of cool places. That'd be fun. Uh, you talk about the problems and stuff. Me and Tolly and I are actually from the uh, worst place to live in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, well, that was in the New York Times. So. I will say, so... There's this place called Pat's where we grew up, and it's literally the best cheeseburger you've world. ever eaten. And CNN came whenever I was in high school and did like an op-ed over this place. And, and the camera just kind of pans around, and they're like, here at Pat's Snack Bar, where the cigarette smoke is almost as thick as the cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> and and totally trashed the place, but it legit is like some of the best eaten. My favorite part of it was uh, we know this woman that worked there. Her name was Wanda, I think it was. Yeah. The last thing they show on there, she throws her fist down on the table and goes, This is the Bible. <laughs> Woman's place is in the home. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one thing about the South. You'll never find better food just yeah. as a whole. We grew um, up in a crazy place. Uh, we was on American Idol, too. You remember American <laughs> Idol Gives Back? No, I didn't see that. All right. So they had Ethiopia. <laughs> uh, they had, like, all these third world nations. And then Miley Cyrus came to Clay County. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, where yeah. Where they yeah. said that the literacy, the illiteracy rate was like 90%. And I was like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yeah, the, the reason I brought up religion, uh, like the Bible Belt thing, in our hometown, they'll pay you $150 per rattlesnake to take rattlesnakes to the churches so they can start grooming them. <gasps> at the really? gas station. Yeah. Yeah. If the, you're at the, 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 y'all are the snake handler people. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you, um, this is just a weird, uh, I have, weird things happen to me. I'm just one of those people who just draws it to them. And when I was in college, my sister lived in Lafayette, Louisiana, and she had this lady do our birth charts. And so the lady came to meet us with these charts that she'd done with our astrological stuff all done, which I thought was the coolest thing. And her mom came with her and this lady started speaking in tongues and touching me on the shoulder. And she said, I've never met anyone like you. You have a white aura all around you. And she's like, can I, can I write to you? And I was like, Oh my God, this old lady is speaking in tongues. She's touching me. And I just really fell out. It was the weirdest thing. And she like wrote me a couple of times, but she wanted to stay in touch. It was the weirdest thing uh, at the time that probably ever happened to me. I've had weirder happen since, but that's a memorable moment. I had something similar happen to me. I was the manager at a pizza place (laughs) in Manchester is a mom and pop pizza place. And there was a group of them that did that. They drove me out from being like, they made me come out from behind the counter and the owner, he's like, just go. And they took me out <laughs> in the parking lot and there's a circle of them around me with hands on me doing that exact same thing. Uh, isn't it, was weird? Like, it was weird. But the difference is you was probably not as wild looking as I was at that point in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I had like, like piercings all over my face and green hair and spikes. <laughs> Wearing a shirt said "Hell Satan." <laughs> <laughs> no, totally different. So, I was just thinking, and I think you kind of alluded to it, but you know, what what kind of pushed you over the edge to to start the first book? Well, um, this is my sad pandemic story. So, um, I lost my job in June. The company I worked for a nonprofit and our funds ran out, our grant ended and there was no money to continue it for the state. So um, at that point in time, I was taking care of my mother full time. And so I had no other outlet. Now, I was caregiver of my mother who was on hospice and she's since passed away. But so at the time I was looking for something to do with my brain to keep my mind off of what was going on with my mother. And so I thought, well, now's the time to write the book that I've been threatening to write since I was a child. So I decided just to do it. And so I set myself a goal of so many words per day and just um, did it. And I don't think I answered this, but um, the story, the original story I was supposed to write, I got the idea of a couple of years ago and I started to write that story and then I was like, well, I need to do a backstory and then started to write that story and then still needed a backstory. So this story is the backstory for those. And I just decided to bring it all together and kind of just create a place where I, a world where I could tell these stories. So the first book had to be written. It was difficult to, um, 
get started with because you know it was just it was just hard I'd say the first 12 chapters were really hard and once I got through those it was a lot easier and the second book has been easier only the first 12 chapters (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you had to create the backdrop to start with of this world basically well and and this is this is kind of how Lauren and I started chatting was um I had originally and I, the whole idea came and y'all I'm I'm weird and I'm just I'll just tell y'all I'm a weird person and I had gotten the idea from watching an episode of The Walking Dead and I thought to myself these people would be screwed if they were Bigfoot oh yeah you know? for sure. There, you know, so that's what's what kind of inspired. I thought, well, I'm going to write a story about Bigfoot in the apocalypse. And so that kind of started it. And so I started looking at and listening to stories. And um, I wanted it to be real enough that someone like Lauren could read it and not be offended by, by the choices I was making. Or, oh, Bigfoot would never do that, you know. And so that's kind of how I got started with it. And um, like I said, it just developed from there. So. No, I think um, that's awesome. Personal opinion about The Walking Dead. After season six, it wasn't worth watching. What's yours? <laughs> <laughs> when the tiger stopped. No. Um, I rewatched it. When I was in graduate school, um, I would turn the TV on just to have some some background noise when I was studying. And I rewatched The Walking Dead, and I picked up so much more rewatching it than I ever caught the first time around. And I don't know if y'all remember this. Um, I'm a huge zombie fan, like I said, so I, I can go off on a tangent. So excuse me if I take up too much time. Oh, you're fine. So you remember when Rick gets out of the hospital and he's walking, and there's that little girl with a teddy bear. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you remember she knew enough. She was still human enough to carry that teddy bear with her. Mm-hmm. And as the story goes, and as the dead are dead longer, they don't do the same things that they do in that first episode. No. And it's no. only if you go back and rewatch it that you start picking up stuff like that. Another cool thing that they do is the zombies actually decay more too over the seasons. Mhm. Yeah, it's pretty Just cool. Like- like the longer, well, they get slower too, right? Yeah. Because of uh, rigor mortis. Yeah. If you like zombies, I, I've got a book sitting up here that I'll show you when we get done. It's about 1,200 pages of zombie stories. Ooh, who wrote I, it? I, it's just different stories. I also <laughs> have a show recommendation if okay. you haven't seen it. Okay. So on Netflix, so Sci Fi had a series called uh, Z Nation. I love Z Nation. So Netflix did a Netflix original backstory to Z Nation on how all that got started. Really? Yeah, it's called Black Summer. And that is the most... I I think it's one of my top all-time zombie anythings. Like, it's super realistic. I'll watch it. And it's very intense. Z Nation is pretty What's it called again? Black? Black Summer, Summer. It, it's the prelude to Z Nation, and they're doing a second season of it. The first season's, I, I, I just cleared it, dude. Well, I, I watched it, them all right in a row. 
And and I'll tell you, my my books, I don't have zombies in them, but it's because I could not write zombie fiction like my heroes do, which Rich Ristucci is a, I'm a huge fan of him and Mark Tufo. They do zombies really well. But um, that was kind of the apocalyptic twist on what I'm writing comes from I've been planning for the zombie apocalypse since the 90s. So, you know, <laughs> I wanted to talk about that to somebody. <laughs> My friends is, don't want to hear it. But, yeah, this I is the right audience. Yes, you, <laughs> you're with the right group here. This We're like, a, it's just a oh, let it happen. And so you've already kind of alluded to what your prior interest was and everything that led you to write your book. Uh, was there any kind of like uh, any dives that led you to like deeper things that you've discovered while you was researching? Oh man, I've I've gotten <laughs> I, uh, the Bigfoot stuff was a, the big thing. That's what I've researched the most, and I found out way more stuff than I ever thought I would know about Bigfoot. Um, some of it's very troubling. But um, that and I have, I watch a bunch of these guys that they're like ex um, U.S. Army Special Forces, whether it's, you know, SEALs or Rangers, that um, they do a lot of, you know, preparation stuff for the end of the end times, I guess. And I watch, and I really, I mean, I could spend all day watching these guys talk about guns and stuff. And I never thought that I'd be that person, but I really am. (laughs) Like I want to take my money and go out to Utah and like take some classes kind of person. Well, the CIA has a zombie contingency. I'm pretty sure of what to do in the case of zombie attack. There is. Um, which, I'll tell y'all a secret. I guess it won't be a secret since it'll be on air, but Gracie actually um, was taking a class with the guy who came up with that CDC page on the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That is cool. She she said that she told him that her friend was a fan. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember... I remember when that whole thing came out and everybody thought that was serious for about 20 minutes. Uh-huh. Well, I tell everybody, we live That's down serious. here where we have hurricanes. And if you're prepared for the zombie apocalypse, you're a pre- you're prepared for a hurricane, for, you know, the flu. You're, you're prepared for every, every worst case scenario the zombie apocalypse prepared you for. So prepare for the zombie apocalypse. I'm fully prepared for it. Um, I bought Max book Mac, Max Brooks survival guide up there. I've followed it to a T. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the craziest thing uh, you've stumbled upon while doing your research for uh, Tapestry of the Worlds in the upcoming uh, World of Blood series? Um, well, World of Blood is not the series. It'll be the Tapestry. We, oh. we changed the names. It's it was a, it was at the end when we were um, getting the book ready for publication, but oh, I tried okay. to get that right. <laughs> it's confusing, I know, but yeah. Um, so let's the get... the sequel of the tapestry book is going to be of the blood, and that's just the sequel. But it, okay. we're going to stick with the tapestry. The whole blood thing is so done that we wanted to kind of stand apart. Um, let me see. I don't know. I found all kinds of interesting things out. Like I said, I've, I've learned way more about Bigfoot than I ever really thought. Um, I've started off on the Big, Bigfoot trail really thinking that Bigfoot was like a um, 
I guess kind of like a an animal. And now I don't believe that. Now are you, I totally are you don't inter, believe interdimensional. That. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> since you brought it up, I study shamanism, and in shamanism, one of the things that we do is, you know, when you journey to the another world, you're awake. But, you know, you're, you're closing your eyes and basically doing a meditation. Well, to go to the lower world, you go through a tree. And so one day I was having that conversation about, you know, doing doing a, a journey. And, um, and I thought to myself, oh, my gosh. So Bigfoot uses trees as a portal, but I'm using trees as a portal. Oh. So it might you know what's to say and then so i just kind of went off on a, a tangent and started researching around with that and around the same time i came up with um a study on it was the australian people the aboriginal people from australia and the people from papua new guinea and their dna is different than ours Yes. Like they're considered the first group to leave Africa and their DNA is different than mine and yours. Well, if you look at the eyewitness accounts of Bigfoot, they're they're very similar in features to the people from um Australia, the Aboriginal people. From the dark eyes, the way the facial features are sat, they're just hairy. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. And then, I don't know if y'all remember Crocodile Dundee. Yes. Okay. I'm a huge pop culture person, so you'll find me referring back to all this stuff. But you remember the Aborigine dude in um, Crocodile Dundee? He could move abnormally fast. Like, he would be there, and then he'd just be disappeared. Yes. So I I started researching it, and I found that, like, the old people, like, I'm talking, like, you know, from the 1800s, and the tribal elders, so to speak, in their culture, that they were given a lot of the same powers, so to speak, that people attribute to Bigfoot. And that's when I started thinking, oh, my God, this could be like a tribe of ancient people that we don't know about. I totally think that, too. Like, I have several trains of thought about what Bigfoot could be, <laughs> honestly. Um I don't know. I think it might be like a de-evolution thing too, like possibly. I think this is this is melting my brain. <laughs> Are you having a? I told he's you having I'm a forming moment. Yeah, yeah, I mean, which I'm not as skeptical as forming. Like I'm kind of middle of the road. Like I, I definitely think that there's been enough sightings to warrant a Bigfoot. Yeah. But I'm just trying to take it all in, like you know. I'm familiar with shamanism. Granted, I don't practice or uh, or anything like that. It is super interesting that um, like those entry points that you were talking about into like the other side. I mean, I, I think that is. Have you ever talked? Uh, what does Lauren think about that? Lauren thinks I'm a little bit out there, I think. She plays it. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I mean, and I'll, I've told her, because we were talking about orbs one time, and I said, well, who says orbs aren't Bigfoot's drones, you know? Exactly. We don't know. Birds aren't. <laughs> exactly. Birds aren't real. Yeah. Orbs are so, um, drones. 
Everybody. I tell everybody you have to look at everything I say from the from the perspective of I am a highly creative person and I'm constantly looking for a story to develop. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, well, I'm digging the orb drones. <laughs> now, now, if you said that whenever you're going into the other world, you have to go through the tree and Bigfoot could be coming through that same tree. Yeah, it's it's a, a mental push. You know, it's projecting your body, but your physical body somewhere else. So would it be a physical body or do you think it's just like. I don't. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, I have a friend um, that's a college professor that he went and studied like primitive living and stuff up north, like in Canada with this primitive school. And when he was there, he said that the teacher told their class because they were they like lived up there for like a month. And he that someone had asked about Bigfoot. And he said that Bigfoot is a non-corporal but real entity that is coming in from an alternate dimension. Just leave it alone. It'll leave you alone. And that's why it could leave a footprint but not a body, which oh. I don't know. I wasn't there. This is just, again, you know, research I asked, and that was the answer I got. Um, I don't know. The Native Americans – you know, they all have stories of Bigfoot. They all have stories of the tribe of people. And my uncle's brother that he lives in Oklahoma, close to where Lauren lives, actually, um, when he was alive, he saw one and had some hair and had a DNA test run on it with the local um, law enforcement there. And it was an unknown primate. Wow. So, I guarantee it's something like that. Like, maybe it... Jeremy said something, even though he's the skeptic foreman. He said that maybe it was a creature that somehow developed a sixth sense to where it could like open a, a portal. Sense. Like a seventh sense to where it could open a portal. But he feels like it's still not like highly intelligent, but maybe it could open a portal with like its mind or something. Do you think that could be something like that? I don't know. I'll tell you what I do think. Um, with... There's there's so you know people will say oh the mind speak and I'll just I just want to slap somebody when they say mind speak because that's telepathy we talk about telepathy you know telepathy is one of the things that was studied by the CIA in all the Project Stargate stuff you know it exists it's not a matter of does it does it or doesn't it exist it does the government proved it and studied it and they spent millions and millions of taxpayers dollars on on studies of it. Um, Telepathy exists, so what's to say that another creature couldn't have telepathy? Yeah, for sure. I don't know how many of y'all have pets, but I'm sure there's come a point, if you have one, that you thought, I know what he said or she said, you know? I mean, animals communicate on a level that humans have evolved out of. I think think that's our ego that has done that. I know growing up, um, I knew a lot of people who thought animals were soulless or you know they they weren't as smart as people but i mean not my dogs i know is what i'm saying <laughs> um you can see the soul in phoenix's eyes oh yeah <laughs> but you know it's it's just a matter of being open to it nature nature's together man's the one that's on the outside i will say totally has one that probably doesn't have a soul that's that's probably true yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remy, he's about six foot six. 
Yeah, he, he's huge and he's lovey, but there's just not a whole lot going on. <laughs> he's the biggest dog I've ever seen in my life, like up close and personal, I think. He, um, I'm, I'm 6'4". And Tully, well, me and Tully's the same height. Are we 6'4 or 6'5? I think we've measured it before. We're like in the middle. Yeah, like 6'4 and a half. But um, he can put his hands on my shoulder and be like. What kind of dog is it? He's a, it's called a wolf. It's called a Tamaskan. The majority of it is a German Shepherd. And then you got Malamute and. Alaskan Inuit dog. They use them in um, Game of Thrones as the dire wolves. You have to send me a picture. I, I've got two German Shepherds, a uh, pit mix, and a Border Collie mix. I love dogs. Yeah, love I've it. got a German Shepherd mixed with a Carrot Mountain Cur. I've got a Black German Shepherd. Yeah. Well, oh, I love you guys so much right now. It's like we're <laughs> bonding. I'm trying she to totally get totally has a German Shepherd. Sweetest yeah, my, dog ever. Now my German Shepherd is super smart, and he does have a soul for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying a while ago, worried about going on tangents. We're the Lord of tangents here, so <laughs> don't worry about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I could talk about dogs all day. Same I would rather, I would rather get rid of my little one. Like, don't say that. <laughs> don't say it. So, um, have y'all? Well, you haven't read the book, so I can't I can't say that. But that's a theme in my my stories is that um they have dogs. I'm a I'm a dog whisperer. Yeah. And Cecil can probably Yeah, I'll vouch for that because my dogs they love everybody, but they have a substantial love for Reed. When he comes in, they like make sounds I've never heard them make before. Well, Especially you can't the big good person. How dogs treat them. I think it's where Reed actually works for the CIA that he's implanted something. In <laughs> he's never going to let that die. You, you have never. to know why he's saying that, though. When we were younger, um, you know, I'm not going to say that we used to hang out with the wrong crowds, but sometimes Cecil and I would find ourselves at some pretty seedy places um, because we played music. And there was one time we were at this, uh, it was like a field party. And everybody was from Clay County. Oh, I never told you about this. Everybody was from Clay County. And we were probably all in our 20s, like early 20s, 22, 23. Then there was this one guy who was probably 35. Yeah. Looked like what you would imagine special forces to look like. Like had the, the big beard, yeah. had two hopper trained German shepherds. Like, off leash they that would follow so him trained. they were so trained that he'd say go get me a beer and they would go get him one <laughs> we all need that dog i keep telling mine they need to learn how to get the remote but they don't listen yeah, they so were extremely trained this guy stayed around for a week and befriended the person who's throwing the party and then just disappeared and he tried the phone numbers he gave him and the address that he gave him in Utah. And didn't somebody end up telling him he died or something? Um, apparently the like story that. was that he uh, had apparently developed stomach cancer and moved away. Just disappeared. 
But the whole time he was there, like, I used to be somebody that delved into the world of narcotics. <laughs> like I said before, I don't do it anymore, but I used to. Um, and the house that Tully's referring to was pretty well known for that. Tully never what did happened it. to the dogs? They, they went with him. No, yeah, they were his dogs. They went with him. But I, we have a strong suspicion that somebody had sent him there to see if we were manufacturing meth or something, which we wasn't. We just partied a lot. We, <laughs> we just yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I just, I would just go, and I don't know what what you were doing, Cecil, <laughs> but smoking a lot of weed is what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. And I'm drinking a lot of moonshine. You know that uh, marijuana used to be the number one export in Mississippi. (laughs) (laughs) I took a Um, class with, um, my teacher was the head of the DEA in Mississippi, and he told us that. And I was like, that's kind of cool. We used to drink so much moonshine that one of my friends worked at Cold Temple. And we drank so much moonshine. One day I was looking at his arm, and he had a tick on his arm. I was like, you got a tick on your arm, man. He said, "Duh!" I reached up to pull it off, and it crumbled. Oh gosh! Oh my God. I'm not joking. I, this this same guy, I I would call Cecil out for lying, but this same guy in the same time period, I we all watched a mosquito land on him, and it just nah. died after. Oh my God! Nah. He, he drank <laughs> he drank a a quart a day. No, it was more than a quart. He drank a quart at work, then a quart after work. <laughs> Half gallon, half gallon every day. day. <laughs> Golly, the stuff Back that burns. Dogs. Um, in Tapestry Part One, um, my main character has two German shepherds, Hansel and Gretel. They um belong to her boyfriend, who's a special forces operator. He's an army ranger, and he has And do what? Is his name Andy? <laughs> no, no, and right. The second book is about him and his um, special forces team, but they have a dog that um, Lauren loves, but it's a magical dog that is on the other side of the veil. And she's like, you have to make him a person. He has to talk. And I said, no, it's a dog. Dogs are magic. He can't talk. <laughs> so. I get what she's saying. It'd be cool, but I feel like... I like seeing animals talk, but anytime they do talk, it kind of takes away from them. It, it does. Like. It takes away the magic. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea, though. It seems like a good one. It, it seems like, well, I think you've explained this a little bit, like that you needed uh, kind of a an introduction for the real heavy hitter. Because I was, I mean, it seems like the, the second one's going to be a lot kind of darker and more gritty than the Tapestry of Worlds, like the original. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you answered a little bit of that earlier whenever you said you were just trying to frame everything up before you just let chaos loose. And this is typically the point where Tully usually asks your stance, so I'm going to go ahead and ask it since it's turned into a thing. How do you feel about birds? Birds creep me out. Big birds kind of freak me out. Like emus. Oh, they're uh, not a big fan of birds. Do you think they're real? I think there are some that are real, and I think there are some that are not. Oh. Cecil doesn't believe in birds. (laughs) I I don't know if you've gathered that yet. Well, there has to be some because the, the, the fake birds have to blend in. That makes sense. 
But I, I feel like they're all created by the Venarians that live on Venus. And because Venus is like the mate is like the controller of the matrix that we live in. Well, you want to hear something weird? Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't believe in space either. So when he says Venus, he means some sub. The last time, like, um, when I was out on a job, when okay, before everything shut down with the pandemic, I was traveling with my job, and I had to go to the Mississippi Delta, which is, we had a huge flood, um, around this time last year, and so everything like was there's a lot of water and every all the animals were acting weird. But when I was coming home and I was on the phone with Gracie at the time, I said, I don't have to call you back. I said, I'm kind of freaked out. And there were this, a whole bunch of um, blackbirds that were flying. And I swear it was like in a double helix um, strand. And it was just hundreds of blackbirds and doing a double helix in the sky. Speaking of that, Reed, do you still have that murder of crows hanging out? Yeah, I do. Really? And guess what I found on my porch? What? Two dead birds. Really? Yesterday morning. Wow. I'm telling you, they're watching me. Reed has had a murder of crows, like a massive murder of crows. Hundreds. Of crows? Yeah. Obviously, there's a message for you. There are hundreds of them. Well, you need to find out what they want. I think they're wanting me and Reed to leave our wives and finally commit to each other. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> are you sending me signs through the birds? But no, you need to look up and see what the symbolism is on um, the Native American stuff with the crows and see what the message is. Uh, it could be. You need to look it up. I'm about scared to. One day you're going to walk out there and you're going to find the dead birds and they just go, I love you. <laughs> Crows and ravens are messengers between um, the worlds. So I don't think I've shared this part with you guys either. So, and this has all been within, since we started doing this podcast, there are at least three giant hawks, falcons on the farm. And as of about three weeks ago, I have a resident owl that I'm seeing all the time. You might be getting adopted by UFOs. Tony, well, there's... Who, who told us that... Uh, somebody told us that owls were like, basically a messenger of death. That was Lauren. Um, it depends. Certain certain Native American tribes do believe that, but at the same time, the Celts believe um, something totally different. It just depends. Like I'd look at what your genealogy is, what feels right to you, but I definitely would... I think um, Ted Andrews has a book called Animal Speak that you should probably look at. Well, and another thing, too. Here's another thing, guys, I haven't shared. For quite a while, we've had this uh, mockingbird that is constantly flying into our windows and pecking at our windows. Now, that would freak me out. I've looked into some of this, and I'm just I'm afraid to look too deep to look too much well, into it. I don't, I don't know. There's I can something tell that, you that when I was younger... I never looked at owls as messengers of death. Like whenever I used to to study this stuff a lot more, I used to go to, um, well, as you know, I used to get off work at like 10 PM. I wouldn't get back into town until like midnight. And I would go to the park, our local park and 
just play the guitar. It's the only, only time I really had to like unwind alone. You didn't. We wasn't alone though, because I came with you and played mandolin. Well, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but there was there was one week in particular where that whole week, every night, this massive owl. I would start playing guitar. This owl would fly down and land on this picnic table directly in front of me, and listen. It was wow. the, both the coolest and the scariest thing that's probably ever happened to me in nature. That was probably signifying. Well, what's your, the death of what's your power animal? The well, like Chinese. No, like if you said you studied shamanism. So, what's your power animal? Have you ever journeyed for your power animal? No, 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 no. I've I've not studied it that much. Like at just high level. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I. I, I do have an affinity for nature. Like, just I'm gonna look into that though, Hadley. You should. Um, there's so many. I say this because when I did my journey for my power animal, I had um, a big owl swoop up at me and throw a mouse. And this is like I took a class with like you know 30 people, and I'm like, what the hell? So um, the shaman that I work with, we've become friends, and I study with her now. But um, She's, I was telling her later, because we, we did our journey to the underworld to discover our power animal, and my power animal was a tiger, and so I was not expecting that, and I told her, I said, well, I was really confused because the owl showed up, and she said, well, you know, because it was a horned owl, and she said horned owls are called the tigers of the sky, which I had never heard. Oh, wow. So it, it kind of turned into, you know, something else. But there's there's a lot of stuff there. Um, I'm a huge advocate for learning all this stuff. No, I will say I do have, even though um, I haven't studied it a ton, I do have, um, there are these meditation rocks that shamans use. And I forget where the stones come from, but there's like a kind of a yin and a yang stone. And you're supposed to hold like one in each hand. Is that like a bocce stone? Bocce balls? There's, there, no, there's something else. I'm sorry. All my stuff is coming together at once. No, you're there's fine. There's some stones that if you hold in one hand, you can feel it going through to the other stone. I I think this is what that's supposed to be. And when we get off, I will... I mean, they're literally in the other room. I'll, I'll grab them and, and check out the name of them. Okay. I was just showing... Cecil, the picture of that, that owl. owl. Yeah, that's creepy. And well, I've seen him during the day so many times. Which, you know, that was a picture um, I'd like to see. That I'm interested you, in all your birds, but I would say, number one, you must have a pest problem to feed them all. Well, I know. That's what I'm thinking. It's Well, see, I live on a farm that is not, it's not a farm anymore. It's basically just what used to be a farm. And uh, I, I was saying that to my wife. I was like, we must have an abundance of small game that these birds are just feasting on. I honestly yeah. think that's an issue where Reed isn't burying the bodies far enough out on the property. <laughs> we weren't supposed to talk about that either. Uh, he's smarter than that. So how long have you um, have you been like seriously, you know, digging into the shaman stuff? Well, the shamanism came later. Like I said, um, since I was a teenager, I'd started studying the occult and to all the all the different aspects of it, just trying to to find my way into it. 
And um, I kind of leveled out with the Norse shamanism stuff. That's the stuff that makes the most sense to me. And then a couple of years ago, um, when I started taking care of my mom full time, I decided I was going to get back into that. My relationship had ended. I'd moved back to Mississippi and been taking care of my parents. So I just decided, well, now's the time to kind of get back that part of me that I had lost. And I went and took a dream study class, which was fascinating. Um, with and I met some really interesting people. And I'll say that out of a class of like seven people, I was I was in a class with four doctors, and two of them were mental health doctors. One of them was a um, veterinarian, and I, I can't remember what the other. I think I'm like a music professor. And um, my my shaman that I study with, she's a um, retired college professor. So uh, when I got in touch with these people, it just seemed like the next step was to to go with shamanism. And I like the shamanism because it's not, and it's, you know, shamanism is just the word for it, but it's not something that's associated with religion. And I'm not a religious person and I don't like um, that being tied into it, you know, right. is the study of this is a, it's about nature and it's about connecting with the things, the flows of the stuff that's around us. So. No, I, and I can respect that completely. Like I've always said, you know, if I was going to affiliate with any of like the mainstream religions, it would be, you know, probably Buddhism just because there isn't like a hierarchical figure or heaven or hell. Everything is just it there. Like you, you just are. You know what I mean? I was going to say, besides, you know, looking into the shaman shamanism is that is that a way to say that yeah what other uh types of lore and occult stuff have you looked deeper into well mythology's just always been something i'm very interested in um i love the stories i love stories and i like people who tell stories you know so mythology's always had it was always these nice and folklore you know um native american stuff is something i really like and mississippi oriented stuff like you're really um, close to to voodoo too. Have you delved into that at all? I have not. Um, that's not something that I'm really comfortable with. A lot of the voodoo around here is very closely associated with a lot of the Christian saints and all. Um, and actually, and I, I think I'm trying to get James on your show, James Irby. And James is familiar, more familiar with like Santa Rhea and things like that than I am. I think his aunt practiced or great aunt. That's really We'd love cool. to have him on. Have you ever seen like a ghost or anything like that, or seen any kind of cryptids or anything in your own personal life? Yes. Oh, uh, please do tell. This is which where one, I always get happy. Which one do you want to hear about? Uh, all Both. <laughs> all of them. Um, I've got stories, man. Um, let's see. When I was at Fort Bragg, um, my partner at the time was a military policeman and so he was taking me around when I moved and sh was showing me around base one of the places that he took me to um the old Rockefeller estate is there on Fort Bragg and so we rode out there and I actually have some pictures uh, not that I took of anything we were just riding around um so there's an old building and we had parked there and we're just looking around because I mean it's really a neat place and he's like yeah they don't they used to have run ops out here but they don't do it anymore 
And so we were parked there and I said, well, there's something up in that window. And we both saw it and it was a tangible figure, mm. but it moved in an unnatural manner. And when I say that, I mean, it, no human has ever moved that fluidly. It was really weird. It was like it was there and then it wasn't. And it disturbed him to the point where we had to immediately leave. And the next day he looked at me and he said, you know, that really messed me up because I thought we must have run up on an op. He goes, but they don't do ops out there. That place is full of asbestos. And he's like, I don't know what we saw. He's like, he saw somebody with a helmet on, and that's not what I saw at all. But, you know, it was just really weird. But I know we saw something, and it was just not supposed to be there. And this was an old mansion that had been, you know, it it was in a state of disrepair. There was no one out there. It was just us. Um, Then another time, now this was back. I guess probably around 2003, some friends and I were having a picnic out on the Natchez Trace, which if you read my books, hint, hint. I'm on to. I just... <laughs> um, the, the Natchez Trace is like the old name for it was the Devil's Backbone. And it runs from Natchez to Nashville. And um, it was a trade route. It, it, it originally started off being like a buffalo trail that the Indians followed. And then when they started settling, it became a trade route. And now it's a parkway. You know, it's federal protected. And so it's, it's untouched. But there is a place up there that is at River Bend. The river bends through and a lot of people go skiing and boating up in there. But there's a place that, you know, people have picnics and stuff like that. So one night, some friends, some pagan friends of mine had gone out there, and I had this awesome drum. And it was an Indian by the name of Mark Barefoot. He'd made drums. I think he's since passed away. But it was an elk skin, just bass drum. And I was drumming it, and it was just, you know, echoing throughout the woods. It was fascinating um, just to, to feel that energy build up. Well, my friend's husband and I had bonded over the fact that, you know, he, he had researched Bigfoot for a long time and I believe in Bigfoot. You know, it's one of the things that I'll tell you, I don't have any reason not to believe. So, and he asked me if I wanted to see one and I said, well, sure. I mean, who doesn't? And so he went and got a um, big flash. Well, it was like a strobe light or something like, I guess what you shine when you're out hunting, when you're not supposed to, Spotlighting. Spotlight. 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 So he had the spotlight. He went and got it from his truck. He came back and he said, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna highlight this place over there. There's a tree and I want you to look at it. I'm gonna turn the light off and I'm gonna turn it back on. And when I turn it back on, you're gonna watch that shadow move. And everything happened just as he said. Now, was it a Bigfoot? I don't know. That's what he told me it was. I saw something across the river watching us. It was as black as the black shadow that you see, you know, in the darkness. But you know how dark that is. Like when you're in your bedroom at night and there's a place, you know, in your room that's darker than dark. That's how dark this was. And I saw it move along the tree and readjust itself to be closer and hidden behind the tree. Later that night, he came... And he asked me, he said, well, there's three of them and they've crossed the river. Do you want to go see them? 
And I thought about it and I said, no, <laughs> I'm not stupid. <laughs> um, but my friend um, went and she came back and I said, well, what did it look like? And she said, I don't know what I saw, but I saw something and they were very tall. They were very thin. And she said they were super tall. Huh. So, um, yeah, it is. <laughs> well, what was terrifying was the smell. And it was a smell I recognized. And that was a scary thing is I had smelled it before. And I've gone hunting with my dad off and on, you know, since I was a kid. And that smell was something I knew from the woods. Wow. I've been hunting with spot lot before, but it's usually accompanied with blue lots. <laughs> you just keep piling it on, dude. That was back when I was a kid. <laughs> no, but I I understand. Like I I went hunting with my dad too. Um, although I'm not a hunter by any means. Oh, I'm I, not either. I just I like met, to be out in the woods. Me too. I I enjoy just sitting out there and being quiet. There was one time that uh he tried to get me to pull the gun up and shoot something. And I'm like, nah, like, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm good. Um, but I know oh. exactly what kind of smell you're talking about. Almost like a, a musk or something. Like when you <laughs> smell an animal close by, it's like, it's a doggy smell, but it's like more like rotted, um, more like swamp water, like swamp water and dog. It's, it was just a, a very strong musky smell. Right. That would be that would be scary for sure. Um, so you've seen a full apparition at Fort Fort Bragg. Do you yeah. think the thing you think the black figures that you seen on the riverbank were they Bigfoot or were they like just shadow people? You think? I don't know. I don't know. And I think Bigfoot is a catch all word. I think there's a lot more out there than just you know, Bigfoot, but I think that's what people are comfortable with saying they saw or attributing their experience to. Yeah. But I mean, I think there's more than that. Well, yeah, for sure. Because the, since we started this episode, this uh, particular podcast, we, we originally started just going through state by state, looking for different cryptids and paranormal things and stuff of that nature. And there's always a form of a Bigfoot, but it's always a little different. Yeah. Like one, one's nine feet tall. Another one's five feet, you know, so there's probably different breeds of them. So. Well, or tribes, you know, like, you know, like pygmies are small compared to, you know, white South Africans. You know, I used to date a South African. So he was he was six foot four. And, was his name, um, uh, his name wasn't Isaac by chance, was it? No, I was <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a South African friend. <laughs> I love the South African people. They're they're awesome, but um, but yeah, he was he would say you know that the Africans that he knew were short, and I was like, well, in Mississippi they're tall and the people are short. You know, the white people are short here. Yeah, that'd be that'd be kind of weird. Like, and um, you talked about New Guinea, Papua New Guinea earlier. Didn't they find an island off of Papua New Guinea where they found pygmies? Like they were, they found like short little structured bones and they decided that they, those were people that evolved to live on that little Island. I don't know that they were pygmies. Um, I thought that's where they found the giants. No, it was a little bitty Island. 
y'all were talking about the giants with um, Lauren, and I sent her an article. Um, they found giants where my dad grew up in Louisiana, and there's an article that he sent me. And it's from the, the Franklin Sun, and he sent it to me, and I've since lost it, but I found it online and sent it to Lauren because I was like, I can't believe y'all were talking about that. Did those skeletons get seized too? Mm-hmm. They all it happens do. all the time. It happens the all the time. Smithsonian. The Smithsonian to never be seen again. I bet the Smithsonian is where Warehouse 18 is. <laughs> That's where they got the art that Indiana Jones left off. The art. <laughs> and the bell. Yeah, and the bell. And that so, alien artifact he found in part five. Yeah. Are there any, um, I don't want to say trinkets, but are there any like special like bits or secrets that you plan on leaving in the book series for dedicated readers? Like Easter eggs? Yeah. If awesome. you know me, if you talk to me, you'll probably figure out some stuff. And I tell everybody, you know, you just got to be careful because I put people that I talk with a lot, you'll see them, they'll turn up in books. Not like as a full <laughs> character, but like piece, pieces of their personality or something they've said to me, it might show up. So we could technically have a cameo sometime in the Yeah, future. you could. <laughs> <laughs> you say the right thing. Um, <laughs> Well, but no, I'm, but people I'm gonna say know. things, and I'll write it down because it's to me, it's all about the turn of a phrase. And somebody had said something about um, inspiration. I was like, how weird! Like, I'll hear a song, and like one one lyric will stick with me, and so I'll, I'll write it down, and then it's I'll have a little list, and I'll take it, and I'll put that, I'll, I'll build a scene around that phrase. Because I'll want to use it, you know? So you said you started out with a target of 75 words a day. No, no, 1,500. Oh. Yeah. Maybe 75 lines. I want to do a paragraph a day. (laughs) (laughs) That's about how much middle capacity I I can put I did not know how to write a book. So I started looking online, and I was like, well, how big is a book supposed to be? How many words am I supposed to have? And... So the the average I think um, for fantasy book was like a hundred thousand, like ninety thousand to a hundred thousand words. So um, I, my goal was ninety thousand, and I ended up with a hundred. And for the second book, that the the research since then has said that people who read Audible or not Audible, but people who are looking on e-readers. They're not looking for something that's 100,000 words. They're looking for something more like 40 or 50. So the second book's more like 40 or 50. It's a, I think it's 45 right now, and that's going into editing. So is it – so the 100K, that's more like the setup, and then these these 40 or 50K hits are just going to be like like all meat and potatoes. Like yeah. No, like just – Gung ho. Yeah, did did I send you running and gunning? Because I know I had a rough draft. I, I didn't know if I sent I had it. I yes. had Okay. See, my beta readers love it. And I don't know and they said they don't know if it's because um they have already read the first book, so they just wanted a second hit, or if it was the the pace because I hit my stride running with it. Um and but it's it's totally different. And that's really marketing wise. I would say that 
people who like zombie fiction are really going to probably like um, running and gunning more because, I mean, it's boom, boom, boom. But it also has a lot of, if you, you have to, well, you don't have to read, but if you've read Tapestry, there's a lot of answers in running and gunning that you might have been looking for after reading the the White Raven Awakens. So it's not done on purpose. It's just, you know, it's for me. And I can tell you this, when I finished writing The White Raven and was reading back over it to do the editing, there was pages I didn't even remember writing. <laughs> but but that's the kind of writer I am also is I'm not, I, I might have an outline over, I know I want to achieve this, but the story writes itself. I'm not, I don't, like I said, it's like channeling these people in the story because I had a character that just showed up and he demanded to be put in the story and I was not even planning on it. And then the story became more about him. Um, the Felix character, I was not planning on having him in that book at all. And he showed up and I've got girls who are on team Felix now. And I'm like, it's not a romance <laughs> book. They're like, They've got to be together. <laughs> like, no, it's not like that. But that's what I try and tell people is it's not about romance. It's, it's not like that at all. If you can get, if you can get through the first little bit and you'll see that that is not what this book is about. The book is about this girl being put in this position and trying to figure it out. Has the follow-up been stressful at all? Like getting everything together, getting ready for publication? Um, marketing is really hard and it's because the tapestry books cover survivalists they cover urban fiction they cover um other worlds they cover um dystopian you know scenarios they cover so much it's hard to find that niche so i'm having a hard time generating what kind of reader i wanted um i was geared people were telling me that it would be more more girls will be reading it but i've been working with a, a guy in marketing he loves it. He's trying to help me. He's like, it needs to be supernatural post-apocalyptic. And that's what I was really shooting for is that's, you know, what I want. And he's like, you've got a, mili- a, a shifter para, para, you know, paramilitary thing going on here. And that's, you know, really cool. And people don't see that. And so, like I said, it's it's not... It's not for everybody. I try and tell my girlfriends that because I'm kind of afraid they're all going to like, they had some problems like with the scene that I had in the first one. It's like, but you know, it's kind of darker than I thought it would be. And then some people it's not dark enough and you know, it just is what it is. You're not going to make any, you're not going to make everybody happy. You know, that's what I told you. I just want to tell the stories. I just, you know, it's a way for me to put all the things I love together and make it flow and hopefully find people who are weird like me. Honestly, I think that's the best way you can rot. I, I think that's uh, like the heavy hitters of inspiration thus far. They kind of draw from the same place. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, the, the little bit I got to read this week, it was, I liked it. It's pretty good. Um, and I, I can't wait to finish it because the last book series I read was uh, by our friend that we interviewed a while back, Vic Ferrari, and it was all like 
based on when he was a New York detective, so it's all true. I want to get back to fantasy for a little bit until his next one comes out. <laughs> 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 um, but so what? What do you have lined up? Like, what's next for you? Like, what are you besides? We know you're writing books and everything like that. Like, and we know you're doing podcasts too. What? What do you guys cover a lot in your podcasts and stuff? Well, for um, really bringing James on has been a, a big game changer for us. Um, it was just Gracie and I. Gracie's my editor and good friend. And um, so bringing James is just adding a, another element. And James Irby and I have been friends for years. Um, he is the brother-in-law to one of my best friends. And he is super interesting guy, which I don't know if y'all are familiar with the Society of Creative Anachronism. It's called the SCA. Mm-mm. I'm, oh. not. I'm not. Well, it is the Society of Creative Anachronism, and basically they do re- medieval reenactments. Oh. It's, it's kind of a big deal. Wait. But I've that, always wanted to do that. Oh, you're well, talking about legit. Legit. I was, I was about to say I've always wanted to LARP. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's different than LARPing. Because in LARPing, they use, like, foam swords, and these guys are using, like, rattan sticks to beat the shit out of each other. Okay. I'm there. I'm there. My my dream is to buy, like, 16 acres and open a LARPing community. (laughs) That's my dream. Well, the SCA has, like, three really big, um, like, week-long events. They have Penzig out on the, the East Coast. And they have a, a big one down in Lumberton, Mississippi called um, Gulf Wars. And so the SCA is kind of big. I don't I won't say it. I mean, it's, it's big in my world. <laughs> but James has been the king a number of times. Wow. And he's pretty impressive. He has got a larger-than-life personality. I would, I would put that on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, you know that the FBI has a file on everybody that's a member um, because they are the largest um, army, un, uh, I guess, unarmed or some some kind of army in the United States. But it's an army. They get together and have wars. I mean, they really do. But the kingdom oh. in Auburn is it covers Mississippi, Louisiana, um, parts of Tennessee and Arkansas. And so he's been the king, like I said, a couple of times. Him and his wife have been king and queen. But he's all into history, real deep into history, um, on a level, like I said, just way more than than I can. So bringing him on board is going to be great. He is a fascinating individual. Um, In addition to that, he's the best storyteller I've ever met. Y'all will love him. If you have him on, he's got the best stories. He's no one has made me laugh like James has. So, what we're doing with um, creative, well, creative. I don't know what I'm talking about. Sorry, squirrel. (laughs) 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 Weird Ink is where we're going to be interviewing some people like that. We just finished up an interview with a guy that he does all this great um, East Coast study into 
these stone cards and stone chambers and all this really neat stuff. There's some stuff up there around y'all. Um, not the mound stuff, but they actually do like stone stuff. Cause I was asking about serpent mound and that in Ohio. And he said he's been there, but he has actually found these mile long stone serpents that it's, huge anyways it was really interesting stuff there's a lot of crazy rock stuff um what's the rock they've got that rock um in clay county that's under the under like a not a gazebo but almost like a carport yeah yeah um that's just a rock all right so (laughs) (laughs) it's literally just a rock that fell off onto the route 66 in clay county and that's got what they believe to be ancient carvings in it well see that's what this guy does he like petroglyphs and stuff yeah yeah he does that stuff he's really interesting i personally believe that somebody got drunk and did it and it fell into the road. <laughs> um, but I've I brought it up before. I think I brought it up with um, with Lauren. But we they found a fossilized head in Clay County of a human being. Really? Yeah. And they found it in a creek bed. And this guy had it. And somebody came to run tests on it. And they had to take it with them to do the test. And never brought it back. And nobody can get in contact with them. And it was a fossilized head. The last thing that person said when they left was, oh, it's probably a statue. And that's in there with the Ark of the Covenant and the veil. It's at the warehouse 13, ain't it? Warehouse 13? Or is it 18? I thought it was 18. It's 18. It's one of the two. I think 13 is uh, where they keep, like, like DeLoreans. Like well, let me ask you then. I've got a question for you. Let me flip this okay. around. Why do you think that Space Force isn't more talked about? Because there's no space. <laughs> uh, uh, they're they're trying to figure out another way to siphon out trillions of dollars without having to explain where it's going. Like they bought a Phillips four way screwdriver for a space trip. For $15,000. And it was a screwdriver you can buy at Walmart for $3. That is a whole big conspiracy. So why? The funnel. And everybody's like, why would they say that space isn't real? Well, why would they say why would they say that? Is because they're getting paying $15,000 for a $4 screwdriver. They don't have to explain where the other $14,997 dollars went. We have to, I mean, they have to find a way to funnel their money. Yeah. I didn't mean to say we. We, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's back to the. <laughs> <laughs> Reed has admitted he's been to Washington, D.C. several times. So I'll, I'll touch on this just for a second, Hadley. So yesterday I, I saw a video. There's a, a conspiracy theorist who doesn't believe that space is real. Very similar to Cecil. He goes on Google Earth and he finds a Google Earth picture of this probe that's supposed to be on Mars, applies a red a red filter in the Netherlands, and it looks exactly like is it Iceland? Yeah. 
it looks exactly like Mars. And then and he continues on. It's the same on, picture that they released the other day of that new rover that landed on Mars. Continues on and says, uh, he says, why do you think that Mars is just now coming up whenever literally they're saying that we still can't even make it to the moon? How are they flying things to Mars, like vehicles and stuff? And the thing about it is they say we've been to the moon, but we somehow lost the ability to do it. Like the mathematic form formula got lost somehow. But yeah, they're sending stuff to Mars now. So what do you think about Elon Musk saying that we'll be living on the moon in 10 years? I mean, not, not the moon, Mars in 10 years. Uh, he's he's just part of the cabal because, I mean, he runs Space Force, that SpaceX or whatever. I mean, who I really believes he's shot it? I think like the real Elon Musk is sitting in his desk at, at Springfield, Illinois, looking like Mr. Burns. Absolutely. <laughs> and Jeff so, Bezos. Have y'all read about the cloned ferret? No, what no. about the cloned ferret? Oh, it was trending on Twitter today. They have cloned a Blackfoot ferret. They're close to extinction. So, what do y'all think about the cloning? The cloning, I think they do it a lot more than they lead on. I don't think it's like something where they replace celebrities with it. I think they just get people that look like them and like do a little plastic surgery, kind of like they did Paul McCartney. Well, they always say the things that we figure out in the media like that, like the announcement of a successful cloning and technology for that matter, is 10 to 15 years behind what's actually going on in the deep state. Yeah. Thirty years, I believe. Crazy stuff. I don't, I don't like cloning. I think cloning is creepy. It for sure is because I mean, you can clone somebody to look exactly like them, but the personality is not going to transfer at all, unless they got the technology to transfer the personality, which they could have. Well, then we'd be living in uh, altered carbon at that Mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Yep. There are scientists that have managed to break down blood cells so much that they finally found binary code. Really? Yes. So there's scientists and this including Neil deGrasse, who's one of the he's the scientist scientific Jesus, I guess. <laughs> scientific Jesus. <laughs> he believes that we might live in a matrix too, and they're starting to think that there's a very solid chance that we live in a simulation. It's all harmonics. Yeah. Well you know if you have Rh negative blood that you can't be cloned. Well that's a super rare blood type. Super rare. I wonder why. I wonder why, too. Gracie has, we were talking about this today, we were talking about the cloning, and she has RH negative, and my dad was RH negative, so I'm a carrier, but, um, but yeah, it's, can't be cloned, so why would that be a thing? Do you think that she's an alien? No. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she's a master program. Yeah. The, yeah. The, She's super yeah. smart for sure. Exactly. <laughs> CIA plant. <laughs> anybody, anybody that's smarter than Cecil works for the CIA. <laughs> I'm starting to think Foreman does too. I feel like Foreman and Reed have been implanted in my life to monitor my situation and my goals. <laughs> Yes, Foreman is. He's not with us tonight. 
Uh, he was wrestling an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> lost the fight. He lost the fight. <laughs> Do you know that alligators can live a year without eating? Yes. I almost got ate by an alligator when I was a child. I have an alligator story, too. Um, well, it was my fault. It was my fault, 100%. We lived in Florida, close to the Everglades, and we would go out to the glades or whatever, and there was like this walkabout where you could walk across it, and there was a concrete culvert. And in that concrete culvert, I seen some eggs. I was like three years old. Being the mischievous child I was, I started cracking these eggs on this culvert. My dad grabbed me by my luscious white hair that I had when I was a baby. <laughs> Pulled me up on the pier by my hair. Took off running. And when when I was looking behind him, there's a gator chasing after us. I was busting gator eggs. My story's not as good. <laughs> That's like the Indian name is Bust Gator Eggs. <laughs> and I think they were endangered at the time. Wow. I could be wrong. It was in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> My story seems unworthy. <laughs> oh, come on. We got to hear it. <laughs> we were at, what was it called? Uh, Bush Gardens in Florida. And there was this little wooden bridge that went over to another area of the park and it's a dry creek bed that ran under it and i thought it was just a fake alligator laying there in the creek bed just for aesthetics for the park because you know oh that'd be a great place to put one people go "Ooh, look at alligator i'm eating a bag of cheez it's and i flip one at the alligator and it just quap I, I, like, oh, I, like, I don't know if you've ever been but have you ever been to gatorland in orlando I have not. All right. So they have a swinging bridge over the pit of gators. Now there's like a cage around it. When I was a kid, there wasn't a cage. It was literally a rope swinging bridge. My dad thought it was hilarious to get on that swinging bridge and start swinging it. (laughs) Man, and I was like four years old. I'd latch onto a rope and cry. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how you turned out to be Cecil. I was going to say his dad would be cancel cultured this year. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's a good dude, though. <laughs> TJ Fletcher was a great man. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> he just had a funny, a weird sense of humor. <laughs> so tell everybody, where can everybody find all your stuff? Like, where can they buy your books and everything like that? Well, I am exclusively on Amazon right now. You can find me at um, HadleyThorn.com. That's my website. And, of course, I'm on Twitter. Um, We've got, a, I think, Facebook. I don't know. All the places. We're all the places. (laughs) We're, 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 you know, we're we're doing that stuff. Facebook. At HadleyThorn, I think, on Twitter and of course, anybody can email me. It is thornhadley at gmail.com. So. so the move to Facebook, that was recent, wasn't it? What was the decision behind that? James was behind that. He said we should go ahead and start a Facebook, you know, just just group. Um, so we moved over there, and I think we've got maybe 20, 30 people there. And, I mean, it's, you know. I'm probably more active on Twitter, and I've taken over the Twitter account. 
he's trying to do Instagram. I think um, he's been home. I, I still do some of the um, uploads, but I'm just not as much on Instagram. Uh, we have an Instagram, and um, it's bipolar underscore teddy bear, but it's a ghost account. It doesn't get checked at yeah. all. <laughs> Instagram really hard isn't... to keep up with everything. Well, when you think podcast. I can't imagine a lot of people go to Instagram for a podcast. Yeah, it's the videos. See, Lauren, she has said she's had more interaction and support through Instagram. And I was like, well, that's because, you know, you're 30-something and cute, you know? So. Also, if you think about, like, I'm 30-something and cute. <laughs> <laughs> and if you back on Instagram, I'm sure it would be a, 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 a success. Do I need to show the shirt? Oh, yeah. Reed's wife uh, got him she a shirt. She got me this shirt just today. I don't know if you can see oh. it. Old geezer. Old geezer, formerly known as Stud Muffin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the old man on this show. And what was the name of your podcast again? Weird Realities and Weird Realities, Inc. And that can that be found everywhere, that listening... Yeah, we're on Podbean, but I think we have it fixed where it'll go a couple of other places. And we, we've got um, our YouTube channel, which we just, we do audio, and then we'll move it over there with like a little video with it. And uh, the the YouTube channel, is it Weird Realities as well? Yes, it is. And it's Weird, W-Y-R-D? Yes, right? we put the wine weird. <laughs> I like that. Nice. <laughs> yep. Thank you so much for watching us. Uh, thank you, Hadley, for coming out. And tell us a little bit about you and everybody go check out the books. It's a tapestry of worlds is available on Amazon. Like she stated, go out and check out the YouTube channel, weird realities, um, and check them out on all their platforms. Uh, you can watch us on YouTube. If you're watching now, obviously you can hit that subscribe button too. And you can check us out on audio only. If you're listening on audio only go check out YouTube and vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> We're on all listening platforms, I believe. Uh, we run that through Anchor. And then you can go and check us out on Twitter at bipolar underscore TB, as in tuberculosis. Because I can't say that. Because he can't say it. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for watching us because we're watching you. Uh-huh. Where in the fall?